Um, if you are new here at the church, we have a teaching time as a part of our worship service, and it's like a large group Bible study. We've been going through the book of Hebrews, and uh, so we've got a memory project that we've been working on. It's that time, right? And yeah, it's time for us. Uh, so if, if you're saying, okay, what's going to happen now? Just relax. Everything's going to be okay. Uh, it's going to be a group activity, though. We have been uh, we've been working through uh, just this month. Actually, it's going to extend into next week. Uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. We've been memorizing that. And after each section that we've memorized, I talk a little bit about why that's so important. So, so, so today we're going to do verses 1 through 3. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. We'll show you some text, and then we'll take some words out, and then we'll just be bold. Ready? Say amen. amen. Here we go. All right. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So that's the new part. All right? So it's, it's kind of wordy. All right? At least in the English. So that's why we're kind of breaking it up here. All right, so let's just, let's keep going here. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's great. That's good. Let's knock off a few more words. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Okay, let's do it. Are you ready? Take a deep breath. Breathe. All right, here we go. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God 
and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Amen. Woo! Huh? We're getting it. We're getting it. We're going to wrap this thing up next week. Okay? Just these first four verses. Now, wow. Wow, wow, wow. So this is the pre-sermon. Here it is. Why, why, why do we do this? Now, this last section that we memorized was after making purification for sins. Sins. <laughs> Plural. Your pastor has many of them. See? And we do. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. And, and, and so everybody comes in here with all these different stories. You come in here with different stories. And with your stories uh, come if-onlys. If only I had made this decision. If only I hadn't said that. If only, if only. We come in with if only. And, and uh, maybe more than we would like to admit, we are plagued with regret and the accompanying guilt. If only, and we just think, no, God, you may be here today. God just can't forgive me if only because of my, because of the weight of my if onlys. And what we just recited together today is the promise of one who has come, making purification for sins, making purification, making purify means to to cleanse, to bleach our sins only Jesus can do that some of you think that you should feel regret but let me tell you let me tell you of one who has made purification for your regret because the kingdom of God is a regret free kingdom and I came here to tell you that today. Amen? Amen. 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 All right. That's the pre-sermon. Now let's get to the sermon here. So, Gardner Taylor was one of the most um, gifted preachers that our country has ever produced. He had this deep, booming, baritone voice. His messages were just lyrical. For 42 years, he pastored the Concord Baptist Church of Christ in Brooklyn. And his speaking ministry took him all over the country, um, all over the world. One night, he was preaching in Shreveport, Louisiana. And he was in the middle of his sermon, booming away, when all of a sudden, there was a boom, a thunder boom. And the electricity went out, the lights went off, the microphone shut down, 
And there everybody was in the room in the dark. And Gardner Taylor was startled by this and stopped preaching. And right there in the darkness, someone in the pews yelled out, Go on, preacher! We can see Jesus in the dark. Amen? Now, I think that's what the book of Hebrews is getting at. 2,000 years ago, a preacher wrote a sermon manuscript. That's what Hebrews is. And this sermon manuscript was intended for a congregation. Quite likely, that congregation was in the capital city of the Roman Empire. And this congregation was struggling because they were marginalized and persecuted for the cause of Christ. Scholars think that this letter was written somewhere between 65 A.D. and 70 A.D. Some think it's right around the year 68 A.D., A.D. 68, rather. That's a very important year in the history of the Roman Empire. Ancient historians call it the, the year of the four emperors. Can you imagine having four presidents of the United States in one year? Can you imagine the turmoil and the uncertainty that that would cause? That, that, so that was, in a way, A.D. 68, uh, when Nero, who we think was responsible for the deaths of the apostles Peter and Paul, he just was maniacal. And finally, he committed suicide. He departed to no one's regret. But they didn't quite have the secession plan in play. So the generals began fighting. First there was Galba. Uh, he took over, proclaimed himself emperor. He lasted seven months. Then a guy by the name of Otho, or Otho, depending on how you pronounce your Latin. He lasted all but three months. Then he, was, then he committed suicide. Uh, Galba was assassinated. Otho saw the writing on the wall, and he just killed himself. And then there was Vitellius, Vitellius, and he uh, was hired in April, and he didn't make it to Christmas. Poor guy. He just didn't make it. <coughs> killed, uh, he was killed. Finally, Vespasian, and he kind of smoothed out the turbulence, lasted 10 years. Now, this ancient history lesson is brought to you by Pastor who wants you to understand the context because we read the sermon to the Hebrews and we're thinking that it's just nice devotional material and there is, of course, spiritual content to this, but what you need to understand is how turbulent the times were. You need to understand what it was like to, to live in the capital city of an empire and they didn't have First Amendment rights. 
They didn't have freedom of speech or freedom of, of religion. They didn't have any of those things that we can afford here uh, today. They just didn't have that. You say the wrong thing at the wrong time to the wrong person, and if you're a citizen of the empire, they'll lop your head off. If you're not a citizen of the empire, they'll stick you up on a cross. That's what they'll do. That was the business. It's not personal. It's just business. That's the deal. Now, can you imagine pastoring in that kind of context? How would you encourage the flock? Especially a flock that comes from a Hebrew background. Ah, Judaism was one of the permitted religions in the empire. So they weren't really uh, suffering the kind of persecution that Christianity would bring on, you see. So you see the temptation now? We want to go back. Let's go back to, let's just go back to Moses. It's just safer. You know, I don't have to worry about being hauled off to prison. I don't have to worry about the doors being bashed in and, and, and being taken away and, and crucified or tortured. We, I can finally live a stress-free life. Let's just go back. Let's just go back. Let's just go back. And the Hebrew preacher says to this beleaguered congregation, Oh, no, no, we're not going back. We're moving forward. We're moving forward by focusing our lives on Christ. And that's the message. Because Why? Because Jesus is better. He's better. And that's been the entire thrust of this passage, uh, this entire letter. Jesus is better. And we come to Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And we're going to learn why he's better. Hebrews 3, 1 through 6. Follow along with me in your Bibles. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him, who appointed him just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. This is God's word. So our text begins with the word therefore. You see it in your Bible? Therefore. Whenever you see the word therefore, it's very, it, it's, it's a trite statement, but it's, it's, or it's a popular statement. It's not trite, it's, but it's true. What's it therefore? What's it therefore? So you just need to look back to see what has been previously discussed 
And that way we learn why what is about to follow matters. And of course, what's been discussed is the preacher's contention that Jesus is better than the angels. He's better because uh, he, he is above the angels. He, we just recited Jesus, the Son, the heir, the sustainer, the purifier, the exact imprint of the Father's nature. And that's chapter 1. Chapter 2, he, so he's better because he is above the angels, and then he who was above descended below the angels for a little while. So he is fully God, chapter 1. He is fully human, chapter 2. And because he himself suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Fully God, fully human, therefore, therefore, holy brothers and sisters. And in this next section of Hebrews, the preacher just continues his argument about the supremacy of Christ by indicating that he's better. He's better because he is all that Moses was talking about when Moses lived. And Moses was like the supreme hero of the Hebrew faith. And Jesus is better. And why is he better? These verses tell us why. He's better because of his identity. We're going to learn about his identity in these verses. And then he's better because his identity gives us our identity. You know that there is a huge discussion in our culture today about identity. And we are gathered here today to say that who he is qualifies him to tell us who we are. His identity is because we ha it leads him to tell us that we have an identity. So what is his identity? Well, we're going to talk about that. And then after we settle what that is, then we'll talk about the identity that, that he gives us. And I love how these six verses are actually structured because verses 1 and 6 are about us, our identity, and then uh, you know, basically the last part of verse 1 through 5 is about his identity. So it's like our identity orbits his identity. And as long as our identity orbits his identity, we're where we need to be. Amen? So let's talk about the identity of Jesus. Let's talk about his identity and who he is and what the text says about Jesus. Uh, consider Jesus because of who he is and because of who he says we are. Consider Jesus because of who he is. Therefore, consider Jesus. Take notice and observe Jesus. Look reflectively on Jesus. Don't simply glance at Jesus. Gaze at Jesus. And why? Because of who he is. The text says that Jesus is the God-appointed Son sent to restore the brokenness of this world. 
The text says that that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises in Scripture. Look at verse 1. It says that he is the apostle and high priest. Isn't that interesting that he would use the word apostle? Normally we think of the apostles as the 12. And yet here, and it's the only time in all of the New Testament that the word apostle is in reference to Jesus. But the word literally means sent one. One who is sent. So Jesus is the supreme apostle sent by God to us. Sent to represent God before us. And he's also the supreme priest, the high priest, representing us before God. He is the apostle representing God to us, and he is the high priest representing us before God. He's the apostle and the high priest of our confession. What's that? Well, when we stand in the baptistry and we give the confession, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's what we're talking about. When, listen, when what we just did as a gathering, as a group corporately, is about our confession. We're reciting scripture together. Say when we uh, speak the Apostles' Creed together, when we say the same thing out loud, we lock hands and lives together, meaning we're not in this alone. We're a spiritual community. We're a spiritual family. We need one another. And so why would we ever abandon that? Oh, but some were. Some were considering going back to their pre-Christian lives because you didn't have the stress. As I said, Judaism was an approved religion by the empire. Christianity was not. So it's like, let's just go back to Moses. Let's just go back to Moses. And, and, and the preacher's saying, well, well, listen, Jesus is superior to Moses. Now, when the preacher says that Jesus is worthy of more glory than Moses. He's not disrespecting Moses. He's amplifying Jesus. So <laughs> to be pro-Jesus is not to be anti-Moses. The preacher claims that Moses served well in preparing God's people for Jesus. Look at verse 5. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. Look at that phrase, was faithful in all God's house as a servant. That's, that's not a random statement. That's actually a reference to Numbers chapter 12, verse 7. Write that down, Numbers 12, verse 7. And Numbers 12, 7 says, the Lord is speaking, Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. Now, Numbers chapter 12 is an interesting episode. Because, uh, so in Numbers 12, Moses marries a Cushite. And his sister Miriam and brother Aaron did not approve of this marriage. And, and, and they, they weren't afraid to, they had an opinion and they weren't afraid to use it. They told Moses, look, you're not the only one who speaks for God. We speak for God too, and we don't think you should marry her. Now, there. And the Bible says it's a great phrase, and the Lord heard of it. And the Lord heard of it. And uh, he subpoenaed the three before the tabernacle. 
And so there's Moses and there's Miriam and there's Aaron. And then when they arrived, the Lord said, uh, Miriam and Aaron, come with me. <laughs> and the Lord rebuked them for their brash assumption. The Lord said, look, you two, when I speak to prophets, I do so uh, in dreams and I do so um, in a way that's different than my servant Moses. When I speak to Moses, I speak to him. It literally says mouth to mouth. There is absolute clarity. He, and, and, and Numbers 12, 8 says that Moses beholds the form of the Lord. And God rebuked them for their brash assumptions. And basically, he said to Miriam and Aaron, don't you ever, ever talk badly about my servant Moses. Why? Because he is faithful in all my house. So Moses, at God's word, was a faithful servant in the house of the Lord. Now, and here's the argument, I'm going somewhere with this. If that was true of Moses, how much truer is it of Jesus? See, See Moses was a great man. Jesus is the God-man. Moses was a servant. Jesus is the son. Moses was in the house. Jesus is over the house. Moses turned the water of the Nile into blood. Jesus turns the water into wine. Moses led Israel out of the bondage of Egypt. But Christ leads his church out of the bondage of sin. If you help me, I won't have to work so hard. <laughs> Moses gave the law, but could not keep the demands of the law. Christ was tempted in every way, yet he was without sin. So the point of Moses' life as servant in the house was to point to the life of Christ, who is the Son over the house. And Jesus himself, the Son over the house, said in John chapter 5, verse 46, If you believed Moses, you would believe me, because Moses wrote about me. So you see, Moses, and get this, because this is what we need in our world right here, right now. Moses is shorthand for the law. The law. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, specifically the law. The first five books of the Bible. Uh, the Ten Commandments. God's commandment. Specifically, that's what I mean by law. But in a general way, in a more abstract way, Law has to do with law-keeping, meaning any system of trying to get to God on my own. Now, you can try that if you want, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. You have to keep the whole law. Keep the law, escape the penalty. Break the law, suffer the penalty. That's the deal. I just wonder if James chapter 2, verse 10 is one of the most difficult passages of Scripture to believe in all the Bible. And it's simply this. 
Anyone who keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Let that sit in for a minute. Keep the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Think about the implications of that. Yet that's the deal. You say, well, well, thanks, pastor. That's bad news. That is bad news. See, the point of the law is to show us how much we need Christ. When you see the demands of the law on your life, when you see that there's absolutely no way that you can keep the law of the Lord, that, that is a crushing defeat. It's a, and, and so you see, the law is the most exacting MRI machine that detects the cancer cells of sin in your life. And we try to wiggle our way out of it, and we say, well, as long as I don't actually physically harm someone, Jesus says, that's not good enough. It's not good enough. Anybody harboring anger in your heart? Anybody harboring adultery in your heart? See, you're, 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 as, you're as culpable as if you actually did it. Well, who then can be saved? Ah, now we're getting somewhere. With us, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. You see, so the point of the law is not to save you. The point of the law is to lead you to the Savior. Uh, my professor, Herschel York, put it this way. He said, Satan is shrewd. He does not typically tempt us with the vile stuff. He tempts us with the vain stuff. He typically doesn't tempt us with just outright evil. Not typically. Typically, he tempts us with doing good in the flesh with the motive of self-preservation and with the motive of justifying ourselves before God. Well, he says this, I believe this, we're much more likely to leave grace for law than we are for sin. Uh, Donald Barnhouse was pastor of a church in Philadelphia for years, and he had a sermon uh, basically on this question, what would things look like if Satan really took control of the city? What would our city look like if Satan took control of it? And here's what Barnhouse said. If Satan took over Philadelphia, all of the bars would be closed, pornography would be banished, and pristine streets would be filled with tidy pedestrians who smiled at each other. There would be no swearing, the children would say yes sir and no ma'am, and the churches would be full every Sunday where Christ is not preached. Do you hear him? When we abandon Christ, we become legalistic, self-righteous Pharisees. And, uh, well, here's an example of this in the context of marriage. Consider the question in the context of marriage. Have you seen my keys? Honey, have you seen my keys? How quickly the law leads us to say, what did you do with my keys? Huh? Huh? Right. 
which then leads to, why do you always put my keys where I can't find them, unlike me? Huh? Yeah. Huh. That's, that's law. That's law. And you want to go back to that. Church family, why do you think the discourse in our nation is so toxic today? Why, why do you think we have such a difficult time disagreeing agreeably? When, when you abandon grace for law, you, you really become a, a rigid my way or the highway legalist. When you leave Christ, you're not returning to comfort, you're returning to condemnation. And any unvarnished reading of the Scripture shows us that the law is inflexible and total. Do your best and God will do the rest is not in the Bible. Law is not meant as a doable honeydew list from our Heavenly Father. The law's intent is to drive us out of our sinful self-sufficiency and into the arms of grace. And this is why a bland, garden-variety, inoffensive message like God is love cannot make anyone resurrection new because it first does not crucify and kill. The Apostle Jesus was not sent to improve the improvable, but to raise the dead. And the gospel of grace can only raise those whom the law has put to death. And one of the reasons why American Christianity is in crisis is because it's being advertised as a faith that helps good people get better when in fact it is a faith about bad people coping with their failure to be good. You can't have good news if, if you're not killed by the bad news. And the gospel announces the good news that Jesus came. He shared in flesh and blood. He was made like us in every way. He suffered when tempted. He came to help us when we are tempted and tested. Salvation is not by law through works, but by grace through faith. And you know what grace is? Grace is Jesus telling his disciples to start their ministry in Jerusalem, which was the very city that killed him. And then to plant a church in the shadow of the cross. That's grace. Jesus is determined to love and save the worst of sinners. His heart is gracious to those who were toxic to him. And our response to the gospel of grace is faith, where we stop depending on ourselves and we depend and trust in him, who is the apostle, who's the high priest, who does for us what we can't do on our own. Faith is believing, receiving, and leaning on him. To those who believed him, to those who received him, he gave them the right to become children of God. Oh, man, that, that takes us now to our identity. See, Jesus' identity, our identity. Who he is brings us to who we are. Look back up at verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, wow, 
So, so the preacher is, uh, is reiterating their identity as the family of God. So we're not simply individuals in an auditorium. We're a single dedicated family of brothers and sisters gathered for a dedicated purpose as God's dedicated people. We, we are a holy family, not because of anything we've done, but because of what he has done for us to set us apart. We're dedicated for his purposes. We are set apart as partakers, do you see that, of the heavenly calling. So, so that doesn't merely mean that the congregation has a destiny in the new heavens and the new earth. Of course it means that. But heavenly calling means that our church community has a vocation now. You know that part of the Lord's Prayer where, where we say, uh, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And God has dedicated us as the answer to that prayer. It is our vocation, it's our calling as a congregation to bring the reality of heaven to life on earth now. And our mission is, our mission as a church is not to be a waiting room for heaven. Rather, we are an embassy on behalf of heaven. We are a gospel outpost planted to spread the life of Christ wherever we are sent. And so we're not just a meaningless little house church in a capital city of a vast empire. Rather, we're a pioneer outpost of that which will one day be the norm. So consider Jesus. Pay attention to Jesus. Pay attention to the otherworldly realities which God wants to see in this life. It means to awaken in the morning and say, oh Lord, you got me up today. You're going to be with me today and you're going to send me into situations and conversations where I'm going to be your representative and I'm going to have the opportunity to embody your presence on, uh, of heaven on earth today. You're going to give me a mission and a purpose and that's what that church in Hebrews needs. They they need an awakening of their original assignment grounded in their identity as the people of God. What is up there needs to exist out there. And then, 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 verse 6, the preacher does something totally unexpected. See, we think that the preacher is going to say, Moses was a servant of the house, and we are too servants of the house. But no, 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 what's it say? No, 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 Jesus is son over the house. And we are the house. What? <laughs> yeah, it was in the Greek. What? <laughs> we are the house. So, so do you see the sermon turns out to be a word to them? How the faithfulness of Christ supplies us with what we need in this struggle, struggle to live faithfully for him so we're not a voluntary organization something that we just kind of choose or not we're part of a long history of God's work on his people going all the way back to Abraham and we're being gathered and built by God's irresistible grace Christ has summoned us called us and granted us our identity and if it weren't for the Holy Spirit's love joy peace patience kindness goodness gentleness faithfulness and self-control what would come of us so 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 just as Moses clarifies who Jesus is Jesus clarifies who we are we're his house now, what's it look like to be the house of God today? Oh, let me say a few things and I'm going to sit down. Here, here, here. Here are some spiritual activities that uh, Michelle Santiago shared with me about the house of God here, Windsor Road. And some of these spiritual activities 
uh, are happening in an organized congregational way, and, and many of them, God's just prompting on your individual hearts, and you're responding. Here, pay attention. Uh, there's an individual in our church, and you know who you are, took the initiative to plan a parking lot breakfast for anyone who needs a meal in fellowship. There's going to be more details about that in the next few weeks about how you can participate. Someone, and you know who you are, is stepping out in faith and out of their comfort zone to bridge a connection with a family from Guatemala despite the language and the cultural barriers. Someone organized an impromptu prayer meeting uh, for Centennial High School a few Sundays ago, and God used the three people who showed up to, to bless the new principal of the school who just happened to be there, looked out, his window from his office and came out and it, these three saints were praying for him and ah uh, uh, here an individual who doesn't always have access to a vehicle is partnering with another individual to deliver meals to the residents of see you at home once a month a, a, a group of young elementary school girls is gathering in one of their homes for bible study and learning a couple has offered their home as an available space for any small group needs. An individual is volunteering with a ministry partner to provide mental health and pastoral care for immigrants in our community. That's what the house of God is doing. Why? Because of who Jesus is. And, and the one who was sent has now sent us. And, and these Spiritual activities exemplify our heavenly calling as the house of God. They're tangible acts of love, representing the one who is over the house. Oh, church family, consider Jesus. He's the son over the house, and we're his house. Uh, law is good. Grace is better. Hmm. Moses was good. Jesus is better. Choose Jesus.